Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's largest and oldest retail association, representing around 7,500 independent national and international members. Each episode, I'll be chatting with a leader in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. So join me for some retail therapy as we ask these questions and more and navigate our way through the retail industry, Australia's largest private sector employer. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Joining me for some retail therapy today in the Amex Lounge is Karen Bozic, the group CEO of Craveable Brands, which is made up of Red Rooster, Oporto and Chicken Treat. Across these three brands, there are 580 restaurants, 13,000 employees and a million customers served each week. Karen has been the CEO of Craveable Brands since December 2019, and I'm delighted to be speaking with her today. Karen, welcome. Thanks very much, Paul. A million customers served each week. Australians must love their chicken. They certainly do. Um, some fun facts. It is Chicken is Australia's most consumed protein. In fact, more than double beef, lamb or pork, for example. Wow. And I think it's because people see it as healthy, it's very accessible, and no matter your background, it seems to be a protein most people can consume. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good point. I'm, I'm actually astounded by those numbers, by the way, to think that um, that you're serving a million customers each week. That's phenomenal. Um, let's, let's just go back to the beginning. What was it like growing up for you and why retail? What drew you to the industry? Yeah, I, I mean, I come from pretty humble beginnings. I grew up in Canberra. Uh, I'm the daughter of a small family business, a smash repair business. But I used to work in the reception area of that and I always loved that interaction um, with people and being out there and serving people. My first job, believe it or not, was um, in a a chicken restaurant, a fast food restaurant, (laughs) which is ironic given where I've ended up today. Uh, But again, I enjoyed that interaction. I always had part-time work when I was at university uh, in the retail sector. And then upon leaving that, started at a consulting and accounting firm and towards the end of my time there most of my clients were in the retail sector and I eventually had the opportunity when a client tapped me on the door and said do you want to jump ship and join and that's how I took my first job actually into the retail sector full-time. That is amazing. The bizarre fact, I also come from a family that my father was a smash repairer and I also did work at a chicken shop as well. So that's hilarious. Not for public <laughs> consumption, but that actually is a, a, a historic point that, um, well, it's now for public consumption because we're on a podcast. That's so right. I guess everybody knows. That's right. Um, if you think about the, over the, the, your, the time, a lot's changed in the industry over the years and you've worked at other retailers, including Woolworths and Rebel Sport. What was it like making the transition in working for different retails and very different retail categories? Yeah, I've definitely worked in some different retail categories. You're right, sort of sporting goods, supermarkets, liquor, petrol and convenience, and now and now fast food. And I guess businesses with different operating models, some franchised, some company operated, some big, some small. But I think what has always been really important in each of those roles or businesses that if you focus on customer and focus mm-hmm. on team, and working at what's important during that, then you can generally navigate your way through it. And um, the principles of retail are pretty similar no matter where you go, and you can always learn the category. And, of course, if you've got great people around you, you can pick it up pretty quickly. So, 
you know, did I ever think I'd be running service stations or chicken shops? No. Um, but that's where the learning, I think, really comes in when you jump categories. Yeah, um, and Yeah, it's been great. Do you think about um, the different cultures within those organisations? What would you – how did you adjust? Because they're very different companies. Uh, absolutely. So, um, you know, I work for a, a medium-sized business now that's private equity owned and I've worked for large – you know, some of the largest businesses, large public um, organisations. And I think those different types of organisations have pros and cons. But I think always just having um, a curiosity to get to know those around mm. you and who you work with um, is is key in any role, and and working your way through that. Um, no, well, that's, it's a, they're, they're all good points. I guess what, how do you work out the best way to be successful in those different organisations? Uh, well, I think first of all, understanding again what's important to customers, how you make money, and then uh, navigating, I guess, the different stakeholders you need to manage through that process. Mm. Pretty important. I mean, consumers are changing their behaviours and we've seen an acceleration of trends throughout COVID. What has been some of the biggest changes for the food retailers you represent? Yeah, I think um, two or three things really. The first one I would say trust. Um, You know, at a time where people had heightened sensitivity about even stepping outside their front door, uh, consumers being able to turn to organisations they really trust um, was key. And you can see that no matter what you did over the last 12 to 18 months, customers were watching very, very closely and determining whether you and your business were people that they could trust. So I think that is... Specifically to do with hygiene? Or yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And also um, accessibility. So convenience, obviously, is the other big trend. You know, we've seen our drive-through and our delivery formats absolutely accelerate over this last 18 months. It's been crazy. And I would add to that a third dimension, which is home consumption. Mm. I think a lot of us, you know, initially not by choice, had to learn uh, how to entertain ourselves. We got sick of cooking at home. Um, and so home consumption meant different things for different people. For some people, it meant going to the shops and cooking. For others, it meant meal kits. For others, it meant buying food like ours and taking that home to consume, Yes, um, which is not something people had, had done a lot of previously. Mm. But I think some of that actually is a permanent shift as I do the shift around convenience as, as being somewhat substantial going forward too. So, so much more towards contactless shopping as in purchases uh, yeah. more, more at home type experiences than we've seen before, and yeah, absolutely. So I think quick, easy, trustworthy, uh, minimal impact. I can get in and out, maybe not run into people. I can do it at my fingertips. So if I'm at home working and also looking after the children, I can order a meal online and either have that delivered or send hubby or, or wife up to go pick it up. Um, have absolutely been shifts, and you know I think people have learned to. Um, use their time much more economically over this period. You know, mm. people have used flexible working in different yes. ways and, and people have managed to organise their lives differently and they do things that suit them now. So convenience is very much something here to say. Is working from home um, a trend that you've seen has, has positively impacted your organisation or negatively impacted? Yeah, more? I think, well, let's put two hats on. So um, let's put those who work in the traditional support office environment. I think that's been a really positive development, um, you know, there's no way we're going back to mandating people coming into the office five days a week. And that's because we've proven that flexible working is, is at least productive, if not more productive than what we were doing before. And I think it's given people a sense of control back into their lives. Yes. You know, for some, it's meant that they can now fit in exercise that they couldn't before. For me, it's been being more present in my household with my family. Um, so I think that's a really positive thing. What that's meant for our store network is different things. So we've absolutely seen that rise in suburbia. And people, you know, for all the reasons we just spoke about, people spending more time in those locations. So I think 
you know, we've seen strong uh, growth and development in some suburban shopping centres, but shopping strips as well. The converse of that, of course, is the poor CBD and fringe CBD areas, um, which have been challenged and I think are going to be remain challenged for some time. Are you, are you exposed? Is your organisation exposed much in the CBD? Yeah, we are. I mean, thankfully, it's a small amount in our portfolio, but we absolutely have sites in um, CBD, fringe CBD, transit locations, entertainment venues, which have been significantly impacted due to restrictions. Mm. Well, let, let's hope that that changes, but um, it does look like there's going to be a tough um, draw out of CBD, particularly in Melbourne and then Sydney yeah. uh, specifically, and that's obviously what you've seen in your organisation or your business as well. Yeah, no, we, we are seeing that, um, and it's it's a tricky one because in one hat you absolutely want your businesses to go back to where they are, but at the same hand, you know, within your own business you're propagating flexible working, so mm. it feels a bit of a conflict, but um you know, we'll, we just have to work differently around that to drive traffic and work with landlords to help us out. Yeah, good point. So let's talk leadership. Did it come naturally to you? Do you always have amb- Did you ever always have ambitions to get to the top? <laughs> um, I would say no to the last <laughs> bit, but um, I'm someone that's always really enjoyed responsibility. Absolutely, and I love a challenge. And even as a child growing up, I loved team sports. So working in teams and and kicking goals was always something that was really attractive to me. Um, you know, it probably took someone in my 30s to tap me on the shoulder and say, you know what, have you thought about trying to get to the top? Because I think that you could for me to open my eyes and go, ah, mm. oh, well, maybe, and turn my mind really to that. But I've, I've been really fortunate, I think, in my career all the way through that I've had people who have occasionally given me that little nudge and said, you know what, you need to aim a little bit mm. higher and wider. And I thank them for that because I may not have got there without them. That's a good point. It's interesting as an observation. I think those sorts of comments, that mindset is very much a female-specific mindset, more than, than men suffer from that lack of, um, you know, believing in themselves, I guess, mm. and they actually need um, uh, to reassure, be reassured often by others. D- d- can you explain that to us? Why, why do you think that is? Oh, look, I'm, I was very lucky uh, almost two years ago to, to, do a, uh, to go to INSEAD and do the advanced management program over there. I want a scholarship with chief executive women. And, and that, that course had 70-odd people in it. Um, only 10 of them were, were women. The rest obviously were men. And over 50% of that course was diagnosed as being insecure overachievers. So I don't think the issue is necessarily just male or female. However, right. what I will say is I think as women, particularly those that have family, and that was certainly me in my 30s, I think we get a bit lost. And we get lost because it's really hard to work and have a family at the same time. Yes. And you get into a position, you think, well, I can survive this. I'm going okay. I don't yep. need to rock the boat with that. And before you know it, um, you get a bit too comfortable and you haven't looked outside or within yourself to say, well, what else am I capable of? And again, I was lucky because I had a few people tap me on the shoulder yes. again and go, you know what? You're ready to move on. Yeah. And, and I may not have um, had someone not done that for me. Yeah. So, so you've obviously some people in your, in your career, in your life that have actually been specifically or special mentors to you that have helped you, moved you along, which is really important, I guess. Yeah, it is. And I think one of the great things, um, having experienced that is you realize that that's now your role as a leader. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're you, giving back it absolutely yeah. in, in many ways. And, you know, one of the great lessons I've learned in leadership is, you know, I've always found some of the most amazing mentors and sponsors are the most busy people. And I I used to look at them before I was in in that sort of position and say, well, well, why do they do that and how do they make time for me? You know, because you just think these people are amazing. But when you're finally in a position where you can give back, you understand it because you either think that's important or you don't Mm. and you make time for what's important. And if it's important to you, you then realise how good it feels. And you you find the time. (laughs) And you find the time. But also it feels great to help other people. So I think that's pretty important too. Yeah, really good points there. 
Um, we've talked a little bit about COVID, I guess, and we're living in a different world since the COVID pandemic. How have craveable brands adjusted? Yeah, so I think it's um, we're not doing anything dramatically different to what we were talking about doing before COVID, but it's certainly, I think, heightened focus on certain things for us. And, I, and it, you know, what I'll probably talk to is it's no different if you were to ask our competition what they were working on. We're all very much focused on the same things. You know, at, a, at our core, it's absolutely about continuing to offer amazing food and improving and expanding our network. But I think the things that have been accelerated over this period are really, you know, people talk to them about as the 3Ds, data, digital delivery, and for us in our environment, it's drive-through as well. And we're really looking at how we turbocharge that with that customer lens back solving uh, to sort that out. You, you've got 580 restaurants, which is phenomenal, right? I can't imagine doing straw visits with you because <laughs> um, you probably you, it was going to take your whole career to get through every, every store. So, um, what what are the barriers to growth? Like, do you see more restaurants? Are they? Uh, is the format change now? Um, given what we've just experienced with COVID, what what do you see the barriers to growth? How do you grow? In, in what is really a mature market here? Yeah, that, that, so, I mean, from our perspective, we've still got a lot less sites than, let's call it, the global competition out yes. here. So we feel we've got a lot of expansion left and, of course, there are new channels opening up every day. So that sort of, you know, market map hasn't changed for us too much. But I think, you know, coming out of COVID, there's, there's two or three things that I think, let's call it in the short to medium term, that yeah. might hamper growth. Um, you know, the first one, I think, is just what happens with COVID. You know, yes. we know at the moment we've sort of been a, a treasure island of sorts, locked away from from others. You know, consumption, sorry, savings is at an all-time high. There's been lots of stimulus, lots of money's been spent here. At some point that is going to change. Yes. Borders will open up. And I think all of us are sort of sitting here preparing for that but also not really comprehending what that correction, if there is one, what that's going to look like. So that is one impediment mm. if we get a substantial overcorrection. I think the other one is actually um, the economics of the situation that we find ourselves in. So, and I'm talking specifically about rent and landlords. So if you go back to what we were talking about before, you know, in CBD locations, for example, or challenge locations post-COVID, there has to be a resetting between tenant and landlord around what that rent looks yes. like going forward. And I don't think that's fully happening yet. No. And so that may curtail people's expansion mm. plans. I think the third thing I would talk to is really about uh, people and labour. So we, you know, with no migration, no international students, that's, that's an issue for demand mm. in our market, but it's also an issue for supply of labour in our stores. And that one for me is becoming quite a compelling uh, and topical issue within our business, with our partners that we work with and, of course, our competition because we all rely on these wonderful people to do so much work for us and there mm. just simply isn't that amount of people still here. Yeah, good point. Um, you've just hit your just over 12 months in your first CEO role. Um, have, are you sleeping better or worse? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually sleeping okay. And I come back to that course I mentioned before. I think had I not done that and had sort of a good five weeks working on myself, which is so indulgent on reflection, <laughs> um, I might have handled that very differently. But, um, you know, what I've really learned and, and I think in what they say, pressure builds diamonds – and when you're in the trenches with a yes. team, you know, not knowing what each day is going to bring, you, you work through things pretty quickly, you bond pretty quickly and you work out what's important. And so I probably had a lot more sleepless nights, you know, a year ago when yes. I was trying to learn the business and we really didn't understand uh, where we were heading. But, you know, a year on, 
We are very fortunate because our business has done extremely well during this period, which has meant we've also been able to look at our strategy, been able to execute that strategy, and that's working. And so we're in the really fortunate position of, you know, we're going to have a record year this year. We're recruiting for hundreds of people across our business, and I feel very blessed. Now, I've been in business long enough to know that that won't always be like that, um, so you never want to get complacent. But at the same time, I really want the team to reflect on that achievement because no one would have thought that was possible a year ago. Well, good good start for your first year, to be honest. So it's actually COVID is not something we would have wished on anybody, but it has brought um, many retailers a lot of um, uh, good fortune. So um, things may change once the borders open. <laughs> That's right. I guess um, if you think about your day and you're juggling all these different demands, etc., tell me what a normal day looks like for you. So how do you get exercise in? How do you make sure you get everything done? How do you cram it all in? Well, I'm an early riser, which means I have to get to bed at a decent time. But I'm generally so up. That's another chick. That's exactly <laughs> like me. What time yeah, do you get up? About five. Yes, other side. Yeah, I run and I cycle, so I'll do that. Um, quite a few mornings a week and then I sort of get back and get organized and then it and then it depends what I'm doing that day so you know if I look back over the last week I spent a couple of days in store um, some interstate some local Uh, other days I went into the office sort of for three days which is great we have a minimum three-day rule at the moment in the office which is terrific to get out and meet people but I just think about my productivity is very different now. So when I go into the office on those days, I don't think about getting any of my personal work that I need to get done on those yes. days. Those days are very much collaboration days, running into people. I've been hot desking around our office as well because I got so lonely sitting in my odd spot depending <laughs> on who would turn up in the office that day. So they call me Where's Wally in the office now because they'll walk past and say, oh, she's sitting here today. <laughs> but I've actually really loved that because I've, yes. it's been like starting a new job every day. Um, but yeah, I think you just, I think post COVID, it's taught us to be very organized about where we spend our time. And so I try and structure my days that, you know, where I don't have meetings, well, then, you know, to general, I work at home and yes. to get stuff that I need to get done. And where I have them, then I'll come in and I'll spend as much time it as I need in the office to do it. approach to getting through your day. I try to. Done. I try yeah. to. I've got three kids as well, so I have to plan. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you think about your retail career, if you had to do time over again, is there anything you would do differently? I don't know if I would do it differently. I might speed things up. And by that, I mean, I think it took me a long time to learn to be kind to myself and not to be Mm. too hard on myself. And I think you only learn that with perspective and time and other people telling you off, telling you off and nothing. You go, maybe there's something in that. I think the other thing is I probably was, um, I probably, you know, people have, I've been lucky. I've done lots of different roles in different disciplines. And, you know, I probably could have started doing that earlier, to be honest. I did finance for a long time and it finally took someone to say to me, why don't you try something different? And I backed myself to do it. I Mm. probably wish I had have done that a little bit earlier, but then I may not have ended up where I am today. Do you think people should give when they're planning their career, give themselves a time limit on what they're doing for as long as they're doing it to continue the learning program? What would your advice be to a younger person? I don't think you can ever be so linear, but what I always say to people is, you know, open your mind to what's possible. You know, the often, you know, the greatest learning for me has often come at opportunities where I never expected or anticipated I would go into those roles. You know, I ended up running replenishment for Woolworths Australia Food and Liquor Business. Now, mm. if someone had told me I would do that, I said, there's no way. Um, and I learn a heap doing that role, you know, something completely out of my comfort zone, um, you know, doing service stations, running strategy. You know, they're all different things that, that I didn't start there, mm. um, but all took me to the place that I am today. And I think, you know, if you're a, 
a curious person that loves learning and a challenge. And I say, open yourself up to doing those things much yeah, earlier. Back yourself to do it because, you know, chances are you're going to be okay. And maybe sometimes taking those roles that other people wouldn't take, you know, yeah. so because it gives you great – it makes your, um, as a CEO, no, much more of a whole because you've done all these different types of jobs – um, so you've been in every nook and cranny of every organisation almost, haven't you, in what you've been doing? Yeah, I have. And I, and I think that's just been a really good grounding. I mean, very, re- you know, no person ever really gets to the top and they've done everything before. But, you know, having a good understanding of most things I think is really, really helpful. And you go back to how have you been man- able to manage transitioning across different industries. Mm. I think because I've had a generally good base knowledge across most things having yes. done those different roles. And maybe welcoming change. You've actually welcomed it as yeah, you've been going through. Yeah, I think you have to. Mm. I mean, gosh, I've been through businesses that have been at their peak and those that have not and everything in between and you just learn so much during that. Karen, it's been a joy talking to you today. Thank you for joining us at the MX Lounge for some retail therapy. Thank you for your insights and all the best for the future at Craveable Brands. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Paul. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for joining us on the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. I can't wait to talk retail therapy with Australia's retail leaders and share these conversations with you, the future leaders, business owners and innovators of the industry. The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia.